Tilly at first. So good to see you this morning. We want to welcome you. Uh, I'm Brad. I'm one of the pastors here. If you're new here, uh, we're so glad that you joined us today. Listen, I get it. Like maybe somebody forced you to come. Maybe you didn't want to come or you just decided, I don't know what it is. I'm just going to go today. And I get that it may be a bit awkward for you this morning, but we just want to say thank you in this moment for being part of our community, our community of hope. For, for choosing to join us today, uh, we know that you could be doing other things like watching football or eating or doing something amazing on the lake or whatever, and we're just glad that you decide to join us today, so thank you for being part of us. Um, we've been in this series called Group. We're doing our final installment today of Group, God's Plan for Creating and Sustaining Community. And so quickly, let me catch you up. Uh, if you've been gone for the last uh, few weeks, uh, you've just taken summer break from church, totally cool, glad you could hang out with family, so let me catch up. The first week we said that creating community takes work, and we learned that in organizations there is a mission and vision that move us to a purpose, that there's a mission and vision that move us to a purpose, and when anybody steps outside of that mission or vision, there in that creates slack. And we said this, you know this to be true, that when somebody steps outside of the mission for that organization or that movement, when they step outside of the purpose, they create slack. And you have to pick up the slack to keep it on track. You remember this, right? And so we learned that, that Paul wrote this letter to a community. He wrote this letter to a community that he was concerned about. And the reason he was concerned is because there were people who believed that Jesus was coming back tomorrow. And they decided that they would quit their jobs and just stop working totally. And so they would go around and they'd sleep in other people's homes and they'd eat all their food and they weren't contributing to the health of the community. They weren't contributing to the movement that was taking place in the first century. And Paul essentially calls them out and he says, I love it, you need to work for what you eat. Now, we kind of translated that into this whole idea of group. And we said this, that a lot of us will say things like, I don't feel like I'm being fed. And the question we pose to you is, when did feeling like you're being fed become a substitute for actually being fed? And so I asked this question, or I basically said this, that if Paul tells us to work for what we eat, then you are responsible for your own spiritual journey. Like, you are the one that is required to do the work, to put in the work, to move you to where God wants you to be. Not your pastor, not your small group leader, whatever it may be, whoever you want to blame, time to stop blaming on other people and look in the mirror. And so we said this, we need you to get invested by getting connected. And then Jeannie came the next week, and she talked the second week about group, about this idea that creating community requires authenticity. That creating community requires authenticity. And here's what's true about you and me, right? We spend so much time on Facebook and Twitter trying to keep up our appearances that we really don't share the true experiences of our life. And here's what I also know to be true, that when we don't share our story with other people, other people can't share in our story. Because what you're essentially putting out to people isn't true about you. And they cannot journey with you if you're not honest with them. And so we said that creating community requires authenticity. And when you begin to share about your experiences in life, there's a credibility that's gained. There's a credibility between you and me. When I share a story with you that you resonate with, there's something about that story that maybe you've had that experience in life that you say, oh my goodness, like we're like kindred spirits. We've been there. We... we there's something about this that's creating a connection. And so we believe that that's part of our groups. And then last week, we got really, really heavy. We got really heavy about things. And we said that creating community has a context. That creating community has a context. And we dealt with this word that nobody ever likes to talk about in this church. It's called 
sin. And we define sin simply as doing something other than what you were designed to do. Doing something other than what you were designed to do. And we said this, that sin has the power to suppress the human soul. Right? We know this, that sin has the power to suppress the human soul. And we said it is goal, it is sin's goal to make you silent. And this is the game we play in life, right? There are things in life that we're silent about that we know we should say something about, but we don't say anything because we feel like we can deal with it on our own. And so we, we decided last week that there was creating community has a context. And we learned from Jesus' brother, James, not John, by the way, James, that um, some of you get that joke. Um, anyway, <laughs> but we learned from Jesus' brother. He says this, he says that when you gather together, you need to pray with each other and confess to one another so that you may be, I love this word, healed. As we like to say in this church, you may be restored. That healing only happens when we begin to speak out loud the very things that are true about our lives and our struggles. And so we said this, that sin becomes powerless in the, when we confess in the context of togetherness. Sin becomes powerless when we confess in the context of togetherness. So today is our final, final installment. There you go. You're all caught up. But we believe, we believe in groups. We believe in this. We believe that circles are better than sanctuaries because what's going to happen today is I'm going to talk with you for about a half an hour. And the problem is you can't push back. You may have something you disagree with what I say. You may not like what I have to say. Or maybe you just have questions about God. And this really is not like the space to do that. And so we believe when we get in groups, that's the space where we can do that. So would you pray for me before we begin, right? It feels like we began like 30 minutes ago. Let's pray. Lord, we give thanks for this day. We look forward to uh, learning from your word and, and, and how early believers begin to shape our future and how we can become a community hope. So we look forward to your word, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, the question, we always begin with a question if you're new, and one of the questions I want to ask you this morning is, um, how many of you have a fear of elevators? Anybody in here have a fear of an elevator? Okay, a couple. I know my, I have one son that's really scared of elevators. I don't know what it is about elevators, but they make us uncomfortable. Maybe it's the fact that you're suspended on a cable in a little cube, maybe 100 feet in the air, and in, in the event that that cable breaks, there's a good chance you're going to die. You're just going to fall a couple hundred feet to your death. Some of you don't think about that when you get on an elevator, but I do. It makes me uncomfortable. Some of you inevitably will get this, right? You get on and a kid gets on, and I love kids, but you know what kids do when they see lights. They got to press every button on the dashboard. So you might be going to the top, but you're pressing it. They're pressing every button. It's like, oh my goodness, the ride just got that much longer. You didn't, you've, you've experienced this. The other thing that I don't like about elevators that makes me really uncomfortable is it's like totally in my personal space. I mean, you, you've, you've had this experience. You get on an elevator and it is so close. It is so tight. You can literally tell if somebody showered, what kind of cologne or perfume they're wearing, whether they washed their clothes the week before. You know this, right? All because it's so close and it's really uncomfortable. The other thing I don't get about elevators is that, like, it's a great way to lose an extremity. And I don't understand when elevators are closing, people run up and they stick their arm in the door. It's like, no, don't do that. You're going to lose your hand. Or they stick their foot in, you know? It just doesn't make sense. But here's what I know to be true about elevators. Is that in some way they are a signpost for how we live life. Right? We get it that it's like the ups and downs. We get that whole point. But my point today is that often, often we are crowded and surrounded by people, but we feel as if we are isolated and alone. Anybody resonate with that this morning? 
That maybe this morning you've come here and you've had this experience in life where you're surrounded and you're crowded by people. But the more that you're around people, the more you realize that you are completely isolated and alone. So here's the main idea that I want to work with today. That creating community begins with connection. That creating community begins with connection. And here's what we believe to be true about groups is that when you're connected to a smaller community, you somehow connect to a larger community that ultimately connects you with Christ. And often you'll hear us say this around here, that your connection to Christ is only as deep as your connection to others in Christ. That your connection to Christ is only as deep as your connection to others in Christ. And so we believe that creating a healthy community begins by making an, uh, an intimate connection with people. And you're saying, Brad, where does that connection begin? And it's a really good question. I'm so glad that you asked today. You guys are really smart. You're asking really good questions. I can hear it in your soul. But you're saying, where, where do we begin that connection? And we, we have a practice each week when we gather in groups. And it is a beautiful practice. In fact, I want to take you back to a, a, a letter written by this man named Luke. And many of you may not know Luke, but Luke was kind of this outsider. He wasn't a Jew. He was kind of an outsider, but he was a doctor, and he was really, really smart. And he set out to write an account about Jesus' life because he wasn't so sure that he believed everything else that everybody else had told him. And so he writes one of the most exquisite accounts that we get of Jesus' life. And this morning, he's writing to us about a community and a movement that's taking place geared around the life of Jesus. For those of you new who don't know anything about what we do here, we believe that this, this guy named Jesus came to life to save you, to make us whole, to make us new. He died and then mysteriously resurrected. It's a weird story. And if you can't admit that it's weird, there's something wrong with you. But it's a great story. And it began a movement. It began a movement in the first century that shaped, that shaped the world that we live in today, whether you want to acknowledge it or not. So let's listen to what Luke says. He takes us to Acts 2.42, and if you don't know what that is, that's okay. We've got it on the screen for you. But he says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe with the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together, and they had everything in common. I need you to hang on to that sentence. That all the believers were together, and that they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had a need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread, there it is again, in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Now listen to what God does. They were praising and there was favor, but it says that the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I love what Luke tells us this morning. You see, there's a new community, there's this new movement taking place, but they find themselves in one of the most messy contexts, one of the most messy cultures we've, we've ever known, and that is the Roman Empire. These people were constantly being oppressed by the Romans because the Romans were insecure about their own leadership. You ever met people like that? <laughs> anyway, we'll just keep going. <laughs> but what's interesting is we, we find that they, one of the things that was defined about them is that they had extreme extreme generosity and extreme gratitude and extreme love for other people. That one of the things that defined them was their social kindness to other people. And we learned that they were willing to love their enemies. They were willing to forgive people that were persecuting them. But they also shared everything that they had with other people. And the best part is 
They ate together. Now, here's what you have to understand is Emperor Julian in the 4th century was so concerned about these followers that he decided uh, they were out loving his people. And there were people, his subjects, people that believed that he was God that were suddenly transitioning over to this new movement called the Christian faith. Then they were following Jesus and he realized he was losing followers. And so he gathered all his pagan priests, he gathered all his officials and he said, we are going to hear this, out love the Christians. Like they are so offensive in their love that we're going to have to out love them. And so he decided that they would have a food distribution program and they would make hostels for those people who were traveling so they had a place to stay. And what's so funny, what's so funny is Emperor Julian could not stop the movement. And you're saying, what was it about that movement? And I think the connection began when people, as Luke says, they ate together, that they broke bread together. And here's what you have to understand. That our connection to Christ, our connection to others, our connection begins by breaking bread. Y'all with me? And breaking bread simply means to eat, get, eat together. That our connection to Christ, our connection to others, our connection, period, lies in the heart of breaking bread together. So I love what Luke says. If you go to verse 44 with me, Luke says something. He says, all the believers were together and they had every thing in common. I love that phrase. And we wouldn't pick up on it, but Luke, again, he's very smart. He takes philosophy from Plato and Aristotle, and he decides to borrow their language. Now, let me help you understand the importance of this. Plato and Aristotle believed that they could create ideal relationships that would create the ideal city. That if we could just create the perfect relationships, we would have a perfect city. But here is the prerequisite for those relationships. That for, in order for there to be ideal relationships for the ideal city, everybody had to have everything in common. So listen, you had to have the same amount of money that I had. You had to live in the nicest house that I live in as well. Our wives had to get along and get together. We had to ride the same pony or horse or carriage or whatever it is. Like socially and monetarily, we had to be, had the same power. We needed to be on the same page. But the problem with this is, is that people who were, on, were not on the same page, who didn't have everything in common with everybody else, didn't have a relationship. They could have a relationship, but it was based upon exchange and indebtedness. How many of you are indebted to creditors? Or Don't raise your hand, please don't. Uh, creditors or other people, right? Do you have a good relationship with your credit card company? No. Do you have a, a great relationship with the hospital that keeps calling you about the bill and the money that you owe them? Absolutely not, right? You hang up on them. So they realized this to be true, that, that we could have a relationship, but, but it was a, a client-patron relationship. And listen to what Luke says. He says, all of the believers, and I love what Shane told us a while ago, all means literally all believers, all the believers together, and they had everything in common. Here's what I want you to understand today. We find that in the first century, they are eating together. They are breaking bread together. And here's what we need to understand, that breaking bread breaks boundaries. That breaking bread breaks and destroys boundaries, which ultimately paves the way for connecting people. So here's what I need you to understand this morning. I don't care if you are black, you're white, you're green, you're yellow, you have jaundice, whatever it may be. I don't care if you have lots of money, little money, if you have problems, if you're on drugs, if you're not on drugs, if you're addicted, if you're a winner or a loser. I don't care where you are in life. When we gather together in groups, 
when we begin to eat food together, essentially we begin to break the boundaries. We begin to break the boundaries that in some way keep us separate. Luke's a genius. I was watching a cooking show once. Can you believe that? I think I was actually asleep and I woke up for the end of it. But there was this wonderful lady named Lydia. I think that was her name because it was called Lydia's Italy. And she said something that really caught my attention. She said, do you understand that, that when we enter into a table, when we go to a dinner table, we have defenses. We have walls. We have barriers. We have boundaries put up. In the moment we begin to eat food, those barriers sort of kind of crumble. And what happens inevitably is we begin to share stories about our lives and things that are happening in our lives that we would never share if we weren't eating food. Pretty cool, isn't it? So breaking bread breaks boundaries. The other thing that we find is that breaking bread creates a healthy community. It creates a healthy community. And you're asking me, how does it create a healthy community? If you go down to verse 46, Paul uses in our translation the word ate together. Use the word ate together. But what I find so interesting about our translation is that's actually not what Paul meant by that. Paul, when he says ate together in our translation, what he wants us to understand is this word to receive nourishment. Receive nourishment. And it's this one thought that we would receive nourishment. That's what Paul wants us to understand. And I was like racking my brain. Why would we translate it ate together and he would say receive nourishment? Now, the beauty of being a pastor is I get a little creativity. I get to play with things, right? And, and just kind of experiment. So can I do that this morning? Is, is that okay with you? Shake your head, yeah? Okay. Here we go. Fire away. I've been thinking about this, that maybe those ideas and those thoughts are not mutually exclusive. That maybe what we translate and what Luke says to us actually are, are meant to be the same thing. And when, when the idea of receiving nourishment is this cohesive idea, perhaps eating together is a co cohesive idea. That eight is inseparable from together, and together is inseparable from eight. In other words, that when we meet, we eat, and when we eat, we are meeting. That when we do those two together, when we eat and when we meet, we eventually are receiving the healthy nourishment we need to be a healthy community. Making sense? this. This is good. Luke knows what he's talking about. That when we break bread, when we do it together, when we eat and meet, we create a healthy community and we become healthy people. The last thing he tells us is that uh, breaking bread, breaking bread creates instant connection. Breaking bread begins that ultimate connection. Now this is not part of the story, but the legend tells us that, and Luke tells us at the end of his first book, entitled Luke, pretty creative. Um, it's like the Texans being called the, the Texans, the football team. It's like, that's the most least creative name I've ever heard of. Um, but anyway, Luke entitled his book Luke or whatever, and Luke tells us about two people on a journey. And Jesus Christ had just died, and there was a lot of questions surrounding what happened. He was supposed to be the Messiah, but he was dead. And these two people are walking home, and a stranger joins them on this journey. Now, it's believed that they're walking into the sun, and so they can't actually see his face. And so they walk, and they have this conversation about all of the events that had happened, and they get to the house, and the guy says, I'm going to walk on. I'm just going to keep going. And they say, no, 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 wait. We want you to eat with us. Like, you need some good nourishment. You need to move on, but uh, we want you to eat with us. 
And it's funny because the moment that they break bread, the moment they begin to realize who's sitting in front of them, it says when Jesus broke bread, there was an immediate connection that this is the risen Lord. This is the guy who died for our sins, who everybody said was dead, and now is alive. And I find it so funny that they walked nearly eight or nine miles and didn't even know who he was until they broke bread. And it's in the breaking of the bread that we have an immediate connection with people. Let me put it in real time for you. Janelle and I were in Mount Vernon, Ohio. We went to Mount Vernon Nazarene University. Um, I was not a slacker. I know it took me six years to finish college, but Janelle was teaching, and I was finishing school because I was deployed for a year and, a year and some change, which was like two years. And um, Mount Vernon was a great school, but the city itself was extremely difficult to live in because it's a small town. And we just felt like in our first year of marriage, we just couldn't get connected with anybody, no matter how hard we tried. And I don't know, something about small towns, they're just weird. Like, it really is hard to get connected in small towns. If you don't live there, you know, you don't belong there. That's how it works. And so I received a call about a job in Lee Summit, Missouri. And we were thinking, like, oh, goodness, are we going to go out and have the same experience? Like, our first year of marriage was tough because we didn't have a lot of friends. And so we moved to Lee Summit, and we went to this new church that was, was growing. It was thriving. It was called New Beginnings. And I remember my first week there, um, I, I come with Janelle, and this guy taps me on my shoulder during the greeting time. And he says, hey, are you new here? Yeah. And he says, uh, hi, I'm Carlos. Now, Carlos, I, ha I don't know how to describe it other than to say this is the first time I've ever met an Irish lumberjack named Carlos. Like, the whitest dude I've ever met with, the, like, red curly hair, and he's named Carlos. I'm like, how did you get that name? And he's like, yeah, I don't know. But hey, let me ask you a question. <laughs> he said, I want to ask you a question. What are you doing after church? Uh, well, we just moved here. Probably nothing, you know. He said, would you guys like to go out to eat with us? Sure. So we went and we had Chinese food. It was really good. And I remember the moment that we began to eat with them, I thought to myself, we are in good hands. Like there was an immediate connection there. And every week, every week after that, Regardless of if their family was in town because their family lived in town, they would invite us over to their house to eat with them. We would break bread with them every week. And I tell you, the relationship, the connectedness that we had at that church to the larger community of New Beginnings began to flourish and thrive. And I began to understand God's love for me by the way that they cared for me. So here's what I need you to know today. Here's what I need you to know. Your connection to Christ is only as deep as your connection to others in Christ. That's true. Your connection to Christ is only as deep as your connection to others in Christ. Can I speak to some of you this morning who have come and you feel, you feel like you are all alone. Maybe this week you're saying, nobody cares about me, nobody's concerned about me. Maybe you've even said things like, um, what is my reason for being here? If I'm going through all these struggles and I'm going through all these problems and I have all these issues, is there purpose for me in this life? And I know that you feel, even though you're surrounded by people, you feel all alone. Let me just say this. When you begin to eat with people, I don't care if you're a Christian, I don't care where you are in, in, in your entire life. Here's what I know to be true. The moment you begin to eat with other people, you will be a healthy person. The moment you begin to eat with other people, you will be a healthy person. 
you know, we often wonder why our families aren't healthy. But then we, we look at how our life is carried out and we find that we're eating fast food on the way to our next meeting for our job or we're, we're, we're grabbing food on the way to soccer practice. And, and eventually what happens is our tables, our tables in our home just become centerpieces for people to say, oh, that's a really nice table. And so here's what I need you to do. I need you to begin to view your table as a place of sacred space. I need you to begin to view your table as a place of sacred space. And here's why. The moment you decide we will not rush through life, we will find ourselves around our dinner table every night of the week. Or just start with one or two nights. The moment we decide that we will eat together, as Paul or as Luke says, eating together, eating together will give you the nourishment that you need. I can guarantee you that when you eat together as a family, you will be healthier, your, your, your relationship will be stronger, and I guarantee you will begin to grow. You'll begin to spiritually grow in ways that you've never thought before. So I need you to see your table as a place of sacred space. Sacred in the sense that it needs to become a practice and a ritual every week that you eat with people that care about you. Whether it's in a small group, whether it's with your family, whether it's people outside of church, eating together will make you a healthy person. And we believe that it's, what, it, it's, it's God's design and plan. It is his design and plan in groups to sustain and make a healthy, thriving, beautiful community of hope. Amen. That's right. You can clap. Yeah, do that. That's good. You were started and you stopped and you're like, whoa. So where do we start now? Where do we start now? It starts by coming to the table. Right? So we can only practice out in the world what we practice here in this beautiful space. Some of you are like, why do we do, why do, we do communion every week? Why, why do we come to the table every week? Because we are trying to teach you what it looks like when you sit around the table every week with your family. So this morning, we're not going to ask you to stand up if you feel like God is changing your life. We're not going to ask you to, like, raise your hand and embarrass you or come to the altar and we'll lay our hands and pray on you and you just feel really uncomfortable about it. The only way that we respond to messages at this church is by simply coming forward and receiving, receiving what God is offering you in this moment. We believe this to be a moment of grace, that if you're feeling isolated and alone, the moment you eat, you will experience the love of God that he's always wanted to give you. So for those of you serving this morning, would you come forward? And I'm going to pray for us this morning. Lord, we give thanks for your goodness to us. We give thanks that you've created other people, even when they may annoy us. Because the beauty of it is, our relationship with each other is indicative of our relationship with you. And so this morning, I pray that as we come forward and we receive the bread and the cup, that those who may be feeling lonely, those who may be scared, those who feel like they don't have purpose in life or nobody cares, that in this moment your grace would be extended to them and they would experience a love like they've never known. Lord, I pray that this meal, for those of us who've, who've partaken in this over and over, will become a meal of mission. That as we eat this morning, it is a reminder. It is a reminder for us the importance of eating together. And that when we eat together, we create connection. So, Lord, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for this moment. In Jesus' name we pray.